Loving Father, as uh, we come together this morning, we pray that you bless this time uh, now as we fellowship with each other and with you with our Bibles open. We pray that your spirit would speak to our hearts and our minds, uh, be at work changing us and growing us to be more and more like your son Jesus. Uh, Father, lead us in the way of repentance, lead us in the way of true faith that we might glorify your son, Jesus. And we pray this all to your praise and glory. Amen. Please be seated. Uh, This is talk number four in our series, Just Start Talking. And I want to begin by asking uh, a common question. Uh, Who here reckons they might be helped by some relationship advice? And where do we go when we think we need relationship advice? Maybe we go to Dr. Phil. He's uh, popular on the TV. Maybe we listen to Ellen and think about the world the way Ellen does. Or it certainly used to be Oprah. Oprah used to be the, uh, the guru we all used to tune into. Or what about Sam and Koshy? They always have something to say. I wonder where you go for your relationship advice. It's an interesting question this morning for us because Colossians is full of it. Firstly, Colossians, if we read the whole book, it's only a short letter, worth a read. Um, You could do it in one sitting very easily. But firstly, Colossians is about who Jesus Christ is. It'll tell us that he's the one you want to have a relationship with, firstly and foremostly, that he's the supreme king of the universe, He's numero uno, he's number one. And secondly, the book will tell you about the central place Jesus has in the life of a Christian, in the life of all their relationships. And so how do we continue as Christians in these relationships? Well, here comes relationship advice number one. We're to talk to God about people. Be praying for one another. You can see that in verses 2 to 4 in our passage. Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful, and pray for us too that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Christians are people who pray. And Paul has modelled it earlier in chapter 1 for us. He says in chapter 1, verse 3, We always thank God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ when we pray for you. And then in verse 9, in chapter 1, he says, For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we haven't stopped praying for you. So in chapter 1, he gives us an example. Here's my example, not just a one-off. We haven't stopped praying. And here we come to chapter 4, verse 2. Here is the command, devote yourselves to prayer. Now that word devote carries a sense of dedication, doesn't it? To be focused, to be committed, to be dedicated. We know what it means to be devoted to another person. There's a mark of affection that's carried with that. Here... It's devotion about prayer, not just something we do on a Sunday. This is something that carries on throughout the rest of the week. 
And it is one way we love our neighbour, by praying for them. And one thing to love about this church family here is our commitment to God's word. It is very encouraging. It's our, one of our core values. It tops our list, the Bible. But we must make sure we accompany that with a lo- that love of God's word with a healthy prayer life, which incidentally is our second core value. Number one, biblical teaching. Number two, prayer. They go together. And Paul calls us to be a people of the word and people of prayer. And how are we to pray? Well, verse 5, to be watchful and thankful. Uh, Why are we to be watchful? Well, we're not to be found napping on the job, not to be lazy or careless. We're not to undervalue it. And so this is an encouragement for us to be looking for things to be praying about. Uh, Just as surely as we're encouraged to look for ways to introduce Jesus into our conversations. That's been the task the past four weeks. Here the encouragement is to look and to be active in our prayer life and to pray about such opportunities. As we live in this world, we need to have a readiness and an alertness with regard to prayer. And thankfulness, why thankfulness? Well, that's a recurring theme throughout Colossians. You'll find it in chapter 1, verse 3, chapter 2, verses 6 to 7, chapter 3, verse 15, 17, chapter 4, verse 2. And what do we have to be thankful for? Thankful for the relationships we share? Thankfulness is something Christians are called to be. Thankful to God for everything. I mean, we've got a roof over our head, don't we? We have a bed to sleep in. We have food in the fridge and on the table. God is a giver and he's a life giver too. Here are some things to be thankful for. Chapter 1 verse 13. What are we thankful for God to God for? Chapter 1 verse 13. He has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. That's something to be thankful for. Or what about chapter 1 verse 21? It says that once you are alienated from God, you are enemies in your minds because of your evil behaviour. But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight, without blemish and free from accusation. There is something to be thankful for. Forgiven, holy, without blemish. That's who we are in Christ Jesus. I don't know if you thought that when you looked in the mirror this morning. Maybe all you saw were blemishes. Well, see the good news of Colossians chapter 1, verses 21 to 22. More to be thankful for. Chapter 2, verse 13. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us. All our sins. He's cancelled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stands against us and condemns us. He has taken it away and he's nailed it to a cross. There's something to be thankful for. Isn't that powerful? In verse 15, And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, 
triumphing over them through the cross. Cross. God has given his son to bring a sinful people back to him so that now we are right with him, now we are restored. And the invitation this morning is to think, well, are we thankful for even that? And so how are we to continue in our relationships? We are to devote ourselves to prayer. We're to be watchful and we are to be thankful. Verse 3, and pray for us too, that God may open a door for our message. So This is chapter 4, so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which... I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. The great invitation from Paul is that as we speak, as you speak to God about other people, Paul says to his church family, can you send one up for us as well? Can you pray for us too that we might proclaim the mystery of Christ clearly? Now, you might be sitting there going, well, whoa, that's a strange concept. What is the mystery of Christ? Uh, Ephesians has much to say about it in the early chapters. Uh, I don't, it's no different in, in Colossians. It's quite simply this. Let me make it easy for you. The mystery of Christ is God's purpose to reconcile the people of the world, no matter their background, whether they're Jew or whether they're Gentile, God's purpose is to reconcile people to himself through Christ Jesus. And so pray that God would open a door. Pray for opportunities, for moments to tell others about Jesus. And remember, this is Paul, the great church planter, the brilliant evangelist, one of the most significant Christian writers, and he is asking for people to pray for him. Praying that he would be clear. And so here is an invitation for us. Here we come to our application and we go, well, what does this mean for us? Surely there's a conviction about what we pray about. As we pray for ourselves and as we pray for others, surely there's an encouragement that God would also open up the doors for the gospel, that such people would tell it plainly and clearly as it should be. As it should be. And so here's relationship advice number one, to pray. To talk to God about other people being watchful and thankful and prayer that people would proclaim Christ clearly and see what it does for your relationships when we start praying like that. Here's relationship advice number two, where to proclaim, where to talk to people about God. So verse five, be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Notice here, as we're talking to people about God, the expectation is that our lives are to be engaged with uh, those outside of the church family. We're not expected to be isolated from the world. Uh, we're not to board up our windows and doors and detach ourselves from society. That's not the idea. But more, we're not so, to be so immersed in it either that people can no longer tell the difference. That's not right either. 
We are to be in the world, yeah, but we're not to be of the world. And so the encouragement from Paul is to be wise about it. And how can we be wise? Well, one way is to uh, not underestimate the power of our witness. We're to make the most of the opportunity. And when the openings occur, to be prepared to jump through them and to give an answer. Not to retreat, but to give it a crack. And when that happens, because if you've been praying about it, you can be sure that it will happen. When it happens, verse 6 The encouragement is that our conversations will be full of grace, seasoned with salt. Now, grace, this is important, grace is a noun here. Why am I saying that? Because if you've got the ESV version, which is normally really good, it says to be gracious, and that's as an adjective, and that's not right. Paul's not telling us to be gracious. He's telling us to speak about grace, full of grace. He's telling us to be salty. Jesus says be salty, doesn't he? Be salt and light in Matthew 5. We heard that just a moment ago. And we know that salt is distinctive. We know light is distinctive as well. Salt adds flavour to food. Is that right? I mean, think about hot chips. Hot chips have no purpose unless there's salt on them. Is that right? They're completely pointless. They're without meaning. If you ask Thomas, he'd say, no, it's got to be chicken salt. But what are chips without salt? They just don't make sense to me. They have no taste. In fact, they're gross. They should just be chucked in the bin. And grace, can I say is the salty flavour that we are to add to our conversations. Grace gives our conversations meaning and flavour. Grace, that activity that's really God's, to be freely given, unearned, undeserved favour and the love of God expressed to us in his son Jesus Christ. That's grace. To speak of grace is to speak of God's generosity is to speak of grace is to speak of his forgiveness his his work in us by his spirit the spirit that dwells in us that changes us and transforms us to be more and more like his son it's to speak of the supremacy of christ and how that is life changing and and relationship forming To speak of grace is to speak of the hope we have of heaven, even though we don't deserve it. But when our loved ones pass away, we're happily able to say, you know what, but we can have hope. And we can know that there is more beyond the pain and struggle of this life. And it's all because of God's grace. Let me share that with you. And so is this what characterises our conversations. I mean, it's easy to talk about the football, especially this time of year. But are we able to freely and openly talk about the goodness of God and his work in our lives? God's grace to us. Can I say the more we talk about grace, 
the easier it is to respond to people who ask questions about our faith. It, it is easier to apply these words of Paul where he says, Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. The way to answer everyone is to be pointing them to, to God's grace. And that's ultimately to be pointing them to Jesus. And so this is how we are to continue in our relationships now that we belong to Christ. Uh, here is the relationship, relationship advice that he's giving. And you won't find this in the trashy mags and you won't find it on midday television or morning breakfast television. The Apostle Paul is teaching us important things about relationships with other people. And at the centre of all of it is our Lord Jesus Christ. Can you see the way Paul gets us to firstly talk to the Lord about others and then to tell others about the Lord? We get the vertical right. We talk to the Lord about others which means horizontally we're going to be telling others about the Lord. That's the pattern. And this is how we get on in our relationships. Because Christ is Lord, we pray for other people. Because Christ is Lord, we tell others about Christ. And so this praying and this proclaiming go together. Both are outward expressions of our faith. And at the heart... At the centre is Christ. So we pray for opportunity. We pray for clarity. And then we speak about the supreme Christ. And we speak about his grace. And this is good relationship advice. Because when others meet God by faith in Christ. They enter into the best relationship they could ever hope for. The best relationship one could ever hope for is the one they can have with the creator of the universe, the very giver and source of life. And when people enter that best relationship, it means, chapter 1, verse 13, that they're rescued from the dominion of darkness and brought into the kingdom of the Son that he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. It means for them that, verse 21, though they were once alienated from God and were enemies because of their evil behaviour, now they're reconciled by Christ's physical body through his death and presented holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. So what is true for you is now true for them as well. It means, chapter 2, verse 13, that once they were dead in their sins, but now God has made them alive in Christ. Now our friends are forgiven their sins. The, the, the charge of legal indebtedness is cancelled, which stood against them and cancelled them. It's taken away and for them it's nailed to the cross. It's the best relationship advice anybody could hope to hear. Because it's the free gift of life from death. And that sounds a lot like grace to me. But we're not quite done. Because we're also not, we're not solo men or people. 
Even the Apostle Paul, yeah, he was a pioneer, but he always had a team around him. Verse 7 mentions Tychicus, the fellow servant. Verse 10 mentions Aristarchus, a fellow prisoner. Verse 11 mentions fellow workers. And so we do these two things of praying and proclaiming, but we do it with other people. We're in a partnership together as a family where there are no lone rangers or kimasabis or whatever you want to say. We are in this together as a family. And God in his wisdom brings people of all backgrounds, whether they're doctors or slaves or prisoners or brothers or cousins or women, they are all serving. They are all wrestling in prayer. They're working hard encouraging and comforting and reading the scriptures together. This church in Colossae, Christ is central to everything they do. Christ is central in their relationships, even those they share with outsiders. And may it be the same for us. The centrality of Christ for the Christian doesn't end when we walk through the double doors this morning. We don't check our brains at the door and we don't check our hearts at the door as we go home. Christ is to be central in every relationship we have. We are to show the central place Christ has in our lives, at home, at work, down at the sale yards, in our schools, across the back fence. And it happens through prayer, through proclaiming, and it happens in partnership. So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. Amen.